Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. This is a podcast from Minute Media. Welcome to the Kyle Coster Show, presented by The Big Lead. Here is the plan of attack for today. I'm about to launch into some thoughts regarding the college football playoff. Those come out tonight. I'm recording this a few hours before they drop. But in reality, it doesn't really matter because the overall thesis of my take on these rankings is it will all sort itself out. There is plenty of football to be played. These week-by-week releases are made solely to drive interest in the sport, to spark conversation, and basically serve as a bridge in the 24-hour news cycle that we all inhibit. Take, for example, the game in Columbus this weekend between Michigan State and Ohio State. Now, let me tell you, as a Spartan alum, nothing would make me happier than a shocking repeat of the 2015 experience where the impossible upset becomes possible. Looking at the line, which, as I see it right now, is hovering around 20 points, I don't think that's a possibility. I think that this is the most explosive offense that Michigan State has had in my lifetime. We also saw what Purdue did to that secondary. It's essentially an elimination game between the Buckeyes and the Spartans. Just like Ohio State and Michigan will be an elimination game. Alabama has to beat Georgia. If they don't, they're out. In the Pac-12, Oregon takes care of its own business. They should be fine. The great band Live had a song selling the drama, and that's kind of where I land with this selection show. But that doesn't mean I don't have my own thoughts of what should happen and what these rankings should look like. After that, I'm going to go to my interview with Mike Camerlengo of 62nd Classics. He's a hilarious guy. He's really found an amazing new avenue for his creativity. We talked about the videos that he makes, which if you've seen them, you know them, you love them. They're always good for a laugh. The funniest sports highlights presented in a totally unique way. Classic movies approached from a direction you least expect. Packed to the brim with jokes and comedic observations. We had a great talk about the creative process, how this whole thing started, how much work goes into these things and what he gets out of them. We talked about finding one's own voice in comedy, what a challenge that can be, and what a joy it is to discover just what that is. But first, as promised, those rankings called for my own proprietary methodology, which I will not be sharing with you. We'll start at one, we'll say Georgia. No surprise there, that will be what the committee has and will continue to have, barring an unforeseen upset. 
Georgia has been simply dominant. A historic defense that feels so alive when you watch it, that is eating up SEC offenses. This past weekend, they went into Tennessee. The Volunteers wore those sick black uniforms. They looked great. They came out running that up-tempo offense that Josh Heupel has installed. They drove down the field right away and scored on Georgia, 7-0. After that, bloodbath. The final, 41-17. to This is just another way that we can measure an elite team. When Georgia faces adversity, they respond. They respond swiftly. They respond ferociously. They blew Florida out of a game the Gators were in, in a three-minute stretch, with that suffocating defense, with that ball-hawking defense. Stenson Bennett has rallied this team around him. Do I think he's the superior quarterback talent over JT Daniels? I'm not so sure. Would I continue to ride him and not mess with a good thing? I think that's where I and Kirby Smart may differ. I think Smart wants to get Daniels into the game. I think that nothing would make him happier than having a more dynamic quarterback going into playoff time. I guess the good news for him is it doesn't seem to be high risk, high reward. Seems like low risk, high reward. Either way, he opts to go. Georgia has been easily the best team in college football. Thus, they are number one. No need to discuss it much further. Let's drop down to number eight and talk about Notre Dame. Notre Dame has the one blemish against Cincinnati, and they will rue losing that game with an offense that was stuck in the mud. That's kind of been the story of their season. Is their defense good enough to play with anybody in the country? Absolutely. They have playmakers. They can run the football. It's a bit of an old school style. It seems like they're winning despite the quarterback production, not because of it. That's a recipe that can work. And largely, it's going to work. They still have an outside chance to make the playoff with some chaos ahead of them. The four-touchdown win against Wisconsin is aging like a fine wine. That win over Purdue, which we undervalued at the time, pretty damn good in retrospect. They crushed Virginia last weekend. They get Georgia Tech at home this coming one, and they close at Stanford. And we know that the Cardinal are willing to pull an upset, as we saw against Oregon earlier this year. But odds are the Irish finish 11-1. and I think the story of their year is going to come down to the fact that they simply could not move the ball well enough against Cincinnati, who also doesn't seem like it's going to lose, to merit strong consideration for the playoff. Notre Dame, in some years, has a wider berth because their schedule shakes out, so they're playing ranked team after ranked team after ranked team. If you look at it on the whole, a big mistake that people do, even this year where I would say they have not played a murderer's row, it is on par with being in a major conference. Some years it works out for Notre Dame that they can withstand one loss. This is the rare one where one loss and the lack of a marquee victory, because right now, like I'm talking about, 
It's Wisconsin. Notre Dame almost needs the Badgers to win out and pull an upset in the Big Ten championship game. That's almost the biggest thing that they need to root for down the stretch. In addition to the Bearcats stumbling some point here, Notre Dame, really good football team, probably just missed their single opportunity to make a resounding statement. The gate is very narrow in college football with these four teams. I think ultimately that might spell their demise. Number seven, here's where it gets pretty interesting. I have Michigan, and I will not put them above Michigan State because they lost at East Lansing. Jim Harbaugh finally got the big road victory against a quality team that he has been searching for for so long. The team responded Clutch touchdown late, suffocating defense. This looked like vintage classic Michigan, the platonic ideal of what Harbaugh wanted to build. And on balance this season, he's done exactly what he set out to do at Michigan. The one problem, they blew the 16-point lead to hated Michigan State and lost the game. And that still has to matter. Because if you're asking me right now, If the better team is Michigan or if it's Michigan State, I'm going to go ahead and say it's the Wolverines. I think that they have a much more reliable defense. Aiden Hutchinson is a beast, but the head-to-head has to matter here. And it's been a little bit disconcerting for me because I cannot state this clearly enough and often enough. I am not mad that Michigan is above Michigan State in these rankings because I don't think it's going to matter. It will only matter if one of them knocks off Ohio State and goes on to win the Big Ten title, which is a long road to go. Neither of them is making the playoff without that Big Ten crown, without that victory over Ohio State, which I think neither of them is going to get anyway. So what are we arguing about at the end of the day? But at the same time, It almost feels like a shifting of the ground where we're just kind of using any type of excuse or any type of political massaging to prove the point we want to prove. There's a narrative that exists out there that Michigan was the better team in total control of that football game. And I think that they were the better team over 60 minutes, but it's not like they held control for three and a half quarters and stumbled. Over a seven-minute stretch in the first half, MSU outscored Michigan 14-3. to Over the final 21-plus minutes, Michigan State outscored Michigan 23-3. to Combined, that's nearly half the game. So I don't really understand this thought process of, oh, Michigan lost in a fluky way. No, MSU won that game. They did what needed to be done. They took the lead with over five minutes to go. So it wasn't like it was a Hail Mary at the end or something crazy. They, in fact, had to put together multiple defensive stands to hold off a hard-charging Wolverines offense that threw for, I'm just guessing, 7 million yards through the air that day. Number six, Michigan State. Enjoy it. Enjoy it, Spartans fans, because this will be the last week likely that we have to dream about something bigger than a new year's bowl game. This Ohio state team is absolutely fantastic. 
murdered Purdue. C.J. Stroud is making a late but reasonable run at the Heisman. Mel Tucker has done incredible things. The win over Michigan is as big as almost any, maybe the third biggest win of the year in college football. And if it's such a significant win, if you get credit for losing to this Michigan State team, I think we should probably go ahead and give the lion's share to the team that actually won the game because that has to still matter. And again, the big secret is, is that none of this really matters because Michigan and Michigan State under no circumstance are going to be competing for that final playoff spot unless MSU somehow wins against Ohio State, Michigan also wins out, and Michigan State loses in the Big Ten title game to a Wisconsin. And Michigan's sitting there at 11-1. and They are not a conference champion, but they did beat Ohio State. They did hang with Michigan State. I mean, that's the nightmare scenario for me. I don't think it's possible. Uh, I hope I don't live to regret saying that. Number five, the Cincinnati Bearcats. I would not be mad if they were in the top four right now because they have won all their football games and they have a huge win in South Bend. And I don't have a problem with that as long as everybody knows that they are bound to get jumped. They will get jumped by either Ohio State or Michigan State this week. They will likely get jumped by Oklahoma State if Oklahoma State wins out. There's precious little Cincinnati can do down the stretch to improve their own situation. That is a bummer, but that's kind of what happens under the system that we have, which I have to say, they created a playoff with four teams when there are five major conferences, meaning that there was always going to be at least one that was on the outside looking in despite their best efforts to win the conference. Pretty brutal flaw in the whole game plan. This is a problem that college football created. They can't make it worse for their bottom line by opening it up to the Cinderella's, the non the group of five, anybody outside the normal cast of usual characters. I would love to see Cincinnati in the playoff just to give them a chance. I don't think it would go very well. I'm looking at the rankings right here, and I can tell you I would pick so many teams that are far below them in the rankings if they were to play in some sort of neutral field. Ole Miss, I would take. Baylor, considering what I just saw. You go all the way down to Wisconsin. I take Wisconsin over them. That's maybe as far as I go down at number 19. Texas A&M, probably like the Aggies in that game. Wake Forest, I take Cincinnati over Wake Forest, over BYU, over Iowa. Oklahoma's a tough one. The point is, if part of this is figuring out who the four best teams in college football are, I don't know if you can really say that it's Cincinnati after watching them each and every week, weeks in which they've struggled against inferior talent. I don't know how you can sit there at the end of the season and not weigh heavily the toll that playing in these tough conferences takes week to week. It's going to Purdue one week, then getting Nebraska at home the next, then maybe a trip out to Illinois, then a rivalry game against, say, Michigan. 
they're in the same conversation, but they're not the same thing. And winning does matter. But as long as this whole best element is part of the exercise, and again, I think we should go to something that involves automatic bids and certainly something that allows undefeated teams, any undefeated team, a say in who wins the championship. This is always going to happen. So this is Cincinnati's reality. And I do hope that their fans are not getting too excited, even as upsets crop up, even as teams potentially above them fall out, because I don't believe it's going to happen. You can argue whether that's right or wrong. I don't think it's right. I do think that it's defensible under the remit of the committee. Number four is Ohio State. And I think that what's going to happen down the stretch is Ohio State is going to prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that they are the second best team in college football, if not the first. I'm anticipating very impressive victories from here on out. That offense is incredible. Ryan Day's team had a really weird one against the Ducks. They play that game again next weekend. I'm taking Ohio State by double digits if it's in Columbus. Neutral field, give me five and a half or six. I'll lay those. I think that Ohio State is going to prove that they're a better football team than Alabama. And I think it'll be pretty clear to anybody who's paying attention. Now, if Alabama beats Georgia, obviously Ohio State has no chance to pass them based on the vaunted status that the SEC has in the prevailing mind. But Ohio State, they know exactly what they need to do, just like the two Michigan teams know. They have to win out. They don't have any margin for error. They will probably emerge as Big Ten champs and get a berth into this dance. And if they do, they will be more deserving than any other team outside potentially Georgia and potentially Alabama if Alabama finds a way to beat those Bulldogs. Number three is Oregon, and it's the same thought process. The games matter. On that given day, the one day that they played, they were better. They won. They emerged over Ohio State. They've been plugging along. The loss to Stanford was super weird. It's a bad loss. It's so much worse than the loss that Michigan State has to Purdue, in my opinion. Purdue and Stanford are not on the same planet. Compared to the loss Alabama has to Texas A&M, not on the same planet. But all the goals are still ahead of them. Win all the games, they're not going to be left out. They have a reliable running game. They dominate games in ways that are not entirely perceptible. They're so physical. Up and down the roster, they have playmakers. The level of competition in the Pac-12 is what it is. But if you survey what type of teams have been coming out of there, the few that have made the playoff, this Oregon team checks all the boxes and is among the best. Outside maybe the Ducks team that made it to the national title game that one year. Number two, Alabama. Not going to say any bad things about Alabama because they're Alabama. And we have the overwhelming body of evidence exactly what they are. They almost lost to LSU at home. It was brutal. It was brutal. That was a terrible game. 
they did not play very well. And they have certainly shown that they are vincible. That razor thin victory over Florida doesn't look so great right now. That would have been a bad one. Florida is a mess, a mess. They do not have that one signature win that they've been pining for. I don't think that Auburn is anything to write home about. So I don't necessarily think that that should sway everybody's opinion on what Alabama has done to that point. Common theme, if you've gotten this far, all going to work itself out in the wash. That Georgia game is their chance to make it. If a two-loss Alabama makes the playoff, we will know once and for all that the fix is entirely in, that we shouldn't even play these games, that we should just look at the recruiting rankings and go from there because the actual result won't matter. And I guess at that point, we'll know so we can stop talking until we're blue in the face about all this stuff. But Alabama, I don't think that they are going to win the national title this year. And that's an amazing thing to say because I think I've been pretty steadfast on that maybe since the Florida game. They just have not looked like the Crimson Tide teams that we've come to know and either love, loathe, or just accept as being inevitable. So those are my college football rankings. We'll count up again from eight as a refresher. Eight, Notre Dame. Seven, Michigan. Six, Michigan State. Five, Cincinnati. Four, Ohio State. Three, Oregon. Two, Alabama. And one, Georgia. There's no need for anybody to freak out right now. I'm not expecting any huge surprises tonight. But if there are, remember, it's all for your entertainment. All right, let's break down Pete Weber doing this. So Pete's rocking that no fucking around look. This man is at the bank to make a deposit. Do not ask him about the goddamn weather. A perfect release right into what's known as the elephant prostate exam. The pins eat shit and it's party time for old Pistol Pete who celebrates by throwing a rock at a gopher into the bam, punch a kid with braces in the forehead. And right here he's making what's known as the ghost pizza. You do this when you're very excited or because someone stole your credit card to sign up for a Patreon called Tickle Taint Tuesdays. He tosses a warning punch to tell his neighbor that if he keeps blowing leaves onto his lawn, he's gonna to turn his face into a half-eaten plate of lasagna. Weber's heart is pumping like a guy who just walked into a supermarket and suddenly has to wrestle an alligator. And that's why his mouth says this. Fucking crushed it. This man is a legend. I want to play laser tag with him. This guy's glove compartment contains custom darts, a tin of skull, and a Playboy from 1987. Just an incredible moment. Hang this man's jersey in the rafters. That sound you just heard came courtesy of 60 Second Classics. That's Mike Camerlengo. He is a funny dude. There's no other way to put it. That is his take on the Pete Weber clip. Who do you think you are? I am. Classic clip. Love it. All timer. Maybe a top hundred sports clip on the internet. Interesting blog post. Note to self. Do that later. He released that earlier today. I was excited to get a sneak peek at it, some big laughs. And if you like that, you'll love the stuff he's been doing. I think he's got over a hundred videos right now. He talks about how you can check all of that out. If you are a fan of sports or pop culture or humor, good news for you because I'm thinking about starting the world's first website that combines all three if you want in on the ground level. 
or you could check out what Mike is doing, which I consider to be a spiritual cousin of the big lead. I've known him for a while. This was our first time having an extended conversation about his process, what he does. You'll hear that interview after this long, extended, and awkward pause. As we welcome in Mike Camerlengo of 60 Second Classics, I've wanted to talk to you for a long time because I've actually followed your career going back many years when you were writing for various websites, doing some original content, putting together some movies, stand-up, basically being a jack of all trades. And to see the success of 60 Second Classics, it's been really exciting for me because I think that you really have honed in on the perfect format for you. Anybody who watches these videos understands that it's fast paced, that it's rapid fire. Your jokes per minute are extremely high and it's tremendously dense. In my personal opinion, it kind of like overwhelms you to the point where five, six, seven jokes in, in the first 25, 30 seconds, you kind of have no choice but to give yourself over to that moment and to ride with it. And what was the first one that you did? And did you anticipate it being this successful at all? Or has it kind of been a large surprise? Take me back to the genesis of the 60 second classic idea. Uh, thank you, Kyle, for that incredible intro and description of 60 second classics, probably uh, the nicest way you could describe it. So I appreciate it. Um, and yeah, just you saying how we go way back where I, used, I think I used to send you stuff to try to write it up. Like I used to, man, and that's kind of where it came from. Just, you know, throwing, you know, a bunch of crap against the wall. I think when you're, you know, I was living in New York doing stand up, doing sketch, doing making YouTube videos, doing all this stuff. And it's like, you're trying to one hone your comedic voice, which, you know, I think I finally did in maybe my early thirties, like five years ago, but you know, you don't know when you're in your twenties that you don't really have it yet. Yeah. It kind of evolved. I mean, I was looking for different ways to get my comedy out there. You know, I've always kind of like a one man band in the sense that I wasn't in like a video sketch group. Um, and now it's a little bit easier, but when I was 10 years ago or eight years ago or whenever, you know, to, to make a sketch, you had to have a camera, you had to have someone edit it, a sound guy, whatever. Now you can kind of use your phone. But I, so I was just thinking about these ideas maybe three, four or five years ago. And I thought, you know, wouldn't it be funny to kind of describe a movie, you know, just in a, like a, you know, a minute or two as, you know, I kind of did it through a character. I'm from Massachusetts. I did it through kind of like a mass hole character. So my early videos were they would be me on camera and I would be like, I don't, can I swear on this? I don't know yeah, if I please. can swear. Go crazy. Okay. So, you know, I think the first one I did was Rudy and I was like, you know, Rudy's a little guy. He's a little shit. He's kind of dumb. He's stupid. He's slow. So kind of like that. And it was fun. It was, you know, it was a fun, like two minute video where I would put the, I wasn't even using clips yet. I was using like still shots and all thing I would write like a 2.1 GPA. But I was trying to throw a lot of things at it. And, um, you know, it was good. I, I ended up trying to do some like digital thing, comedy central with it, you know, and it kind of, to me, and then it kind of hit a wall and I said, well, this idea is fun, but it's not as fun. Like I felt like I was stuck in a thing of like the kind of I could write. So I said, well, why don't I just do this more of myself and I will just try to legit, again, the premise is that you're explaining it to someone in broad terms 
Um, but you're just going to try to make it fun and funny. Um, so it kind of evolved into, let me see how many jokes I can tell while telling you the plot of the movie in about 60 seconds. And then, so with, with that new version, the new, the first one I did, uh, was Jaws and then the karate kid and that stuff. So basically I had it, you know, I was on Twitter. I wasn't, you know, this is when I was still probably writing, trying to write daily musings or something like, you know, comments about the day or whatever, which I never really liked to do because Twitter you know, as you know, it's like everything you write is either taken out of context or, you know, 20 minutes later, it's not funny. You're just like, you know, so I posted one or two and they did, they did, you know, pretty well at the time for me. And I thought, you know, this is pretty interesting. And I said, you know, what else, what else can you do other than describe the plot of a movie? I said, well, you know, it's funny if you act like scenes in a movie, if you, if you kind of break it down, like you're a football coach, if you're in the film room, so that's where the, you know, I did, well, let's look at Zach and Slater fighting. And then if I kind of broke it down like that, and that was the first one that really kind of took off. And then like a couple weeks later, I did the uh, Windows 95 dance with like uh, Balmer and that stuff. And that took off. And then I was like, okay, I have a thing here. And then I've kind of morphed into, you know, do current clips and, and throwback clips. But the whole premise of the whole thing is basically how can I show this thing that we've probably all seen in a different way from a fan's perspective, like my, sometimes people send me like a shitty clip of something and be like, isn't this suck? And I'm like, that's not, that's not what I do. Like, I like all this stuff. Like when I, when I do a, a clip of Van Damme fighting the penguin from sudden death, I'm a fan. I think it's awesome. But so it's like, how do I make jokes about this without just being like, look how dumb it is. So long, long winded answer, but basically it was a way to kind of, get my stuff out there. Cause at the time I was, I was applying to a lot of like writing jobs, like trying to get like a late night writing job. You know, you submit a packet to like Jimmy Fallon, you know, they have 500 packets and they're probably not going to read yours anyway. And they're just going to hire somebody they know, shout out to that everyone that happens to. But anyway, I was like, how do I like, just how did I get it to where I can be like, Hey, look at these samples that kind of jump off the page. Yeah. And I think that you make an interesting and important point in if someone sends you something that you don't like or stinks, or you're going to say something negatively about it. Here's the thing about comedy that I found. And I think I kind of view this through my own lens of writing on the internet for 15 years. If I'm going to write about something that I don't like, or if I'm going to write about something that's negative, or I'm going to like take the piss out of it or whatever, I have a very limited scope that I'm able to do. Mm -hmm. I cannot expand that widely because the moment you start doing that, then I'm the person who skewers everything. And I'm the person that needs to bitch and moan about every single thing. If you embrace something that you already like, and I think that what you do amplifies the art or the sports or whatever, because I don't think what you're doing is dissimilar from what a sports center anchor would do when we were kids, which mm. is taking something that, yeah, you probably already saw this, but I'm going to give you my own spin on it. And I'm going to twist the prism a little bit so you can see it from my own demented or, you know, humorous point of view. And I think that that opens up and that unlocks so many people. Whereas if you're, well, let's take the example of, uh, you know, like uh, someone killstroys something in, in eight minutes on, on YouTube. Yeah, you watch one of those. You don't really want to watch another one because you're emotionally right. spent. I think that the genius of 60 Second Classics is you're presenting new angles at which to look at movies that we all loved, 
sports events that, you know, might be a few days old, but it's just like, okay, well, how would I describe this? What is a funny way uh, of looking back at my experience? And I think that that opens the door up to everybody. So I'm not saying you're a hero or anything, but I do (laughs) think that there's really something to be said about just leaning into the things that you like and trying to have fun with it. Because if you're having fun, your audience is going to have fun. And I think that that's almost to this point on the internet, an underserved community. Yeah. And I think the point, thank you. I think the point is um, when you mentioned the, you know, the sports center anchors that we grew up with, I mean, I think anybody kind of around, around our age has that influence, whether they know it or not of like that, those, you know, those were, that was appointment TV. And I think I, and I like when, like you said, clips we've all seen, I like when people have already seen the clip because some, you know, every now and then, which I've, I've done a lot better as I've gotten a little wiser, not to just like read every comment. Like I've set certain filters and stuff because you know, what happens is you do get people who come across and they go, Hey man, just show the clip. And it's like, you can see the clip anywhere. You can see the clip anywhere. This is like a different thing. And I I'm happy that people, most people seem to um, kind of get it and enjoy it. And it's fun. And it's, I love like when people, I, I love when like I do like, especially an older video where people on Twitter or whatever will share it and then add their own two cents or either quoting a line that I said, or something being like, not, Hey dude, you missed this, but like, Hey, this is awesome. This reminds me of this. Or did, how about the guy in, with uh, like holding the glove up at, at the 22nd mark? Like that stuff's also fun. It's all in just going back to like the origins of it. I am, I, well, I was in the beginning. I think I've kind of figured out how to do it, but like very sensitive to the, you know, don't just do nostalgia for nostalgia's sake. Because I think when we were coming up in the early you know 2000 i don't know 2010 whatever 2012 2014 there was a lot of that like buzzfeedy stuff that was the really popular stuff was like hey remember zach morris's cell phone and you'd be like yeah and that would be like the whole thing and people would be like do you remember and it's like that's not yeah remember and it was like so so having like nostalgia for nostalgia's sake is not what I was trying to do. So I was, I think just adding that thing that we all know and we all love it and just putting like a different spin on it uh, is what I've tried to do. And I, I'm glad people have enjoyed it. What have been some of the more surprising reactions? Like when you say, you know, you mentioned that you kind of like being a one man band uh, and doing your own thing, but as this stuff gets quote tweeted and people add their own two cents, that in effect is a collaborative process. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's just happening on the back end, which is really cool. What are some interactions that you've had or maybe touchstone moments of X, this X person's sharing this and likes it. Y person's sharing this and likes it. This is kind of something that is, goes far beyond whatever the original goal or aspirations Mm -hmm. or kind of like metrics and barometers that you, that you set were. Well, I said I was a one man band. I don't say I enjoyed it. I said that's, uh, you know, I, I said by necessity, I've been a one man band. But to your point, I think when somebody, I don't know if shallow is the right word, but when somebody like when a celebrity shares your video, it's nice when someone who has or someone that you like respect what they do. Like, I think uh, Sarah Silverman uh, retweeted one of my videos and said it was like hilarious. And I was like, that's awesome. Sarah Silverman's hilarious. Like when the say by the bell video came out. Um, uh, Lin Manuel Miranda was like, he put a picture of himself talking to uh, Mario Lopez on the red carpet. And he's like, dude, I'm asking him about the fight. And I'm just like, that's, 
you know, that's just hilarious to me. I love that. Like that is so fun. Um, and that's, that's the part of the internet. That's cool where you can reach these people that you would never come in contact with. And they can tell you that your, your video or your writing is really fun. Um, so stuff like that's been great. Now I'm springing this on you mid podcast, but I'm going to ask for your five favorite videos that you've done. And I think to, as a means of quality control, we'll have to say that they had to have been pretty well liked by the public, yeah. maybe not this really niche audience. So would it be possible to give me the top five of your favorite videos that you've, that you've ever done? I can do that. And, and, and yeah, I won't give you like the, the video I made about like rod building, uh, the one character, uh, the guy in Saved by the Bell, even though that did okay. But yeah, to your point, I will, I'll pick ones um, that did a little better. So in no particular order, the uh, Steve Urkel playing basketball, uh, I made two of those. The sound on the first one's terrible, but that's probably the better one. But one of those, uh, they both do, did really well. And I, I think it's, I tried to put a lot of jokes in there. The Van Damme uh, dance fighting and kickboxer, that was a, a favorite of mine, and it it also did well. Uh, the Karate Kid in 60 Seconds. Um, I think that's probably the best 60-second recap one I've done. Just Maybe it's because I like the Karate Kid so much, and maybe it's because the music works well with it. A lot of these times I've been trying to stay away from music lately because it gets you copyright infringement on the, uh, on the old Twitter. I made a stupid – not to detour. I made the stupidest video where I mashed up Teen Wolf with A Star Is Born, and I played Lady Gaga – and like six months later, I get hit with like a, and it's just like, was that worth it, Mike? No, it wasn't. I think probably the Say by the Bell one. I think that was the first one that where I kind of experimented with something different and it hit pretty well. And then maybe, maybe one of the, one of the football games, maybe the point break football game or something like that. One of the sports ones. Can you take me through the creative process because this podcast is largely about how people create what they create. Mm -hmm. So let's just say I've, I'm, I'm going to assume that when you're watching, you know, you're, you need to keep up with what's going on in sports. Mm -hmm. One, number two, when you're watching a new video or an old video, do you like mine movies that you remember for ideas What's the genesis of an idea? Let's talk about just a topic that you want to cover on a video. What type of process does it take to get to the point where I'm going to make a new video about this? So I'll give you kind of two, um, if you don't mind, because one is more reactive and the other is, you know, like a throw. So the, for the reactive stuff, it's like, you know, you got to be a little bit less precious with your jokes because it's all about timing. So like Friday morning, I woke up and, you know, people on Twitter were nice enough to tag me in um, the, the linemen and the dolphins um, taking a screen pass and like diving over, uh, you know, for a touchdown that didn't count. So I woke up and I go, you know, I have to do this quickly. So I, I kind of, I just watched the play over and over again. I, I download it and I scroll through it, scroll through. It. I go, what's the setup? What's the funny part here? And then I just try to go through it. I look at the physicalities of people. I look at what things remind me of because a big part of my, my videos are saying like, oh, this reminds me of this. Like this guy looks like, you know, when you show up to CVS and no one, you know, so something, things like that. So I kind of look to see if there's enough stuff. Sometimes people will tag me in a video and I'll just be like, I don't think, I don't think so. Or I don't, I don't, you know, 
So I will kind of do that. And then I'll write a script. I'll write a script where basically every line is accounted for. Like I, I will, um, and try to get it close to a minute. I used to go over a minute, but now I really try to keep it a little closer to a minute. And then I will record a voiceover and I'll string it all together. And sometimes I'll have to go back and re-record a line or something. But the goal there is to show the clip in a different way because everybody's showing that clip. So I always think of like the 60 second classics. Like I've written this down a couple of times before where it's like, if you want to see something from the perspective of a guy who slept walked down the stairs when he was five, like that's kind of like the thing. Uh, which did happen. I fell down the stairs, but that's kind of like the thing. It's like, this is slightly off, you know, to, to steal IFC's uh, brand logo. Um, so easy, that's like the, easy. the <laughs> that's like the uh, reactive stuff um, for something like a throwback. I will either, you know, remember uh, sometimes I'll try to, you know, think of a sports thing from our childhood or a movie that I like or something. Um and sometimes people will ask me to do one, like one that's been kind of dancing around for a while is uh, the Pete Weber one where he goes crazy, like someone. So, so what happened? That's one where like someone asked me maybe like a year ago or it always comes on the timeline. Like people always share that video and I will look at it and I'll just go. I don't think there's anything there. And then for whatever reason, maybe I just need to stew on it or I come back to it and I go, oh, I know how to do this now. So that's kind of what happens with a lot of the throwback ones. Like it, it takes me a beat longer. Cause I'm like, you know, I'm trying to give it a unique thing. So I actually just did that Pete Weber one. So I will uh, put that out soon, but so that's kind of it. I mean, it follows the same process of like, here's the setup. I say, you know, okay, let's break down uh, Van Dam fighting a penguin in sudden death. And then you, you kind of break it down. You know, you can leave stuff out obviously, but the whole goal is to, to get the overall scene, like, you know, what happens in the scene with as many jokes as possible. And I don't like, eight lines that minute i i make each one form a joke and uh because the whole is to make it funny and and um you know different kinds of jokes sometimes you've got to set yourself up and other times you got to let it breathe a little so that's all that's fun to me it's like putting together a recipe what's the quickest turnaround that you've done and what's the longest you've spent on one the quickest turnaround i've done is probably some of these football ones where i will like the Robert Henry, I think it's his name. Uh, like I woke up Friday morning, I wrote it, you know, I had to take my, I had to take care of my daughter on Friday. Like she goes to daycare, but Friday, like I kind of, I watch her, me and my wife and um, while we're working from home. So it's like, I woke up, she's taking her morning nap. I write kind of the thing, the thing, the thing I record it and you know, two hours maybe. Um, but again, it's like, sometimes it's good to just go, First thing comes to your head. First thing that comes to your head, and other times, because uh, I think you can overthink it. You can get too caught up in like, well, what's this guy? And another thing that, you know, not to get—I <laughs> don't know if people are still listening. They may be turned off. But no, 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 no. This is the this is the whole point. This is—I mean, think about—I mean, think about how rarely people speak openly and publicly about the creative process. Like it's always yeah. interesting. That's that's what I want to know. You know, like it is a hard challenge, and exactly right. what you're saying, like more time uh you said it's uh like making a recipe you can overcook it you you can overthink it yeah you can undercook it it needs to find that happy medium and and just get to the place it needs to be because a lot of things is the whole point of it is like just kind of an overview 
or these are the main beats. And now, cause a lot of times people say, Oh, you missed this part. And it's like, well, I didn't miss it. I just chose not to include. Cause you can't, there's so many things happening in all these videos. You can't talk about the ref in the back, unless you really have a funny thing about it. You can't talk about this. So I try to hit those things. And, and sometimes I do have a bunch of jokes for each thing. And I go, you know, I don't need this. I don't need that. I don't need that, which is hard. It's hard to edit yourself. I I'm sure you as a writer know, like, you're like, but why, who cares if it's long? This is good. You know? And I, I that's something I kind of struggle with a little bit. I show a lot of videos to my wife and she'll be like, she'll always chop shit out. And I'll be like, you don't get it. You don't get it, man. Like you don't get it. But I think it's good to have someone look at it because then it, and give you a note, because then it lets you know if you like really believe in it or not. I don't listen to everything, but if she's like, why'd you call that guy like a taint tickler? I'll be like, cause that's funny. And I'm leaving that in. Like, you know, it lets you like, build, or, or I'm like, yeah, you know what? I should just put that. I should, I don't need that part. As a comedian and you have stand up background, if you're on stage and you're telling a joke, you get immediate feedback, mm-hmm. whether something is funny or not. As a writer, you don't get that. What's it like to perform a joke and not get any feedback is it does it come with a crisis of confidence do you know how it's going to land to me that's always weird because like i'll write something that i think is funny but then i just have no idea whether it's going to land uh it's, right. it's all like a lot of gut how does it feel i guess i guess what i'm driving at is how does it feel to do these voiceovers with no audience well i just say i haven't done stand in a long time but back when i used to do it it was yeah i mean nothing worse than telling a joke where nobody laughs and you're like i thought that would have been a good thing um but there's almost something it's like funny about i got to a point where i was like that's kind of funny when that happens um yeah but i think when you're doing like stand-up sometimes you just chalk it up to you know the the old like joke is like oh the crowd stinks tonight like they don't you know it's like oh whatever the, the i think that's what's kind of tricky about the internet is like sometimes you'll put up a video or a post or a blog or something and Maybe it doesn't get as much traction as you think. And, you know, these do sound like, you know, sometimes people just don't connect with it, but sometimes there are other forces at play. Like did, you know, when did you put it up? All this stupid shit that I hate to think about, but it's like the think about the algorithm and all that stuff that just sounds like an excuse. So it's tougher because you don't know. I feel like some of my videos that didn't get shared as much. I'm like, did you guys see this one? Like, this, this one's good. So I always feel a little self-conscious because I do try to, I've made hundreds of videos. So sometimes I'll share a video that I made last year or I'll, you know, I've, I've met, I'm the asshole who like retweets compliments now, but I just do it because, you know, everybody does it now. And, but you do it because especially with Twitter, you have to realize that people are only seeing your tweets if they're online when you tweet. So if you tweet a video out at 1 p.m., and then at 7 p.m., someone logs on to Twitter for the first day. Unless it's like viral or they check your page, they're not going to know about your tweet. So to so that's like another thing where you're like, that's another thing to compare it to stand-up. It's like telling a joke that like does okay. And then like later in the set, you're like, tell it again. And they're like, we fucking heard you, dude. Like we, we, didn't, we don't want it. So that's always a little self-conscious. Just I, I think that. Honestly, I feel like it's easier to just tell a joke and not get a laugh. And you you feel that stab and you go, ah, all right, that hurt. Versus like all the insecurity that comes with the internet where you'll put out a video or a post or something and you'll be like, oh, these people liked it, but that guy didn't. He told me this and this. And it's like, it's like putting up, it's like telling a joke 
in a stand-up uh, venue and then individually asking each people, each person what they thought about it, you know? And that's, that's another thing I've, I feel like I have gotten better with. Um, again, this is like a therapy session now, but it's, it's tough because, you know, it's like some of my videos do really well, but there's always people who don't like it. Um, you know, they're very small, but it's still, it's like, that would be like, I, I always try to remember, it's like doing stand-up and you, you got a hundred people in the room and, you know, 95 people are, are laughing their ass off. And there's always, always somebody with their arms crossed always. And, but a lot of people, a lot of creative people, whether it's the insecurity or whatever, focus on those people instead of just being like, look at all these other people that liked it. So that's something that I I've kind of, I think I've done a lot better with. And you just got to know that uh, not everything is for everybody. Um, and I, that's something that I've, I've kind of learned as a creative person. And even as someone who consumes content, like I see shit that people are like, this is so good. And they're sharing it. And I'm just watching, like, I don't really, I don't think so, but I'm not, you know, I'm not a psycho. So I'm not going to leave negative comments. I'm making myself a note to become the world's first stand-up comic who tells a joke and then gives a person by person <laughs> survey what to each person in the audience to see what they thought, because I got to imagine that would be an excruciating live performance. That's just the whole show is you tell one joke and then you just go around talking to everybody. <laughs> it's like that life itself show uh, with, with <laughs> oh, no yeah, skill yeah. or talent. Yeah. Um, no, I think, I think that you make an important point about how some, not everything can be for everybody. And I think what makes you funny, I think you're funniest when you are being specific. And I've always mm -hmm. believed that about comedy. Like I remember writing, I remember being in a magazine writing class when I was in college and I wrote something very specific. Mm -hmm. And my professor said, you can't do this because not everybody is going to be in on the joke and therefore it won't have mass appeal. Right. And it's something that I've thought about a lot. And I think that it really has its place largely, mm -hmm. but when you're doing something that you care about deeply and you want to best represent what your voice is as an artist, I think that specificity is like the funniest tool in a comedian's tool belt because the people who get it are going to absolutely love right. it. And more details to me are always funnier than broad details. And I think you do a great job of hammering down and just going for it and not being afraid to leave some people out in order to drill down and hit the exact funny bone on people who are going to be like, who are riding along with it and totally get the reference. So I know it's a well, delicate balance, but I do think that that works really well with you. Well, thank you. I, I agree with that a hundred percent. Like, you know, I do make a lot of references where, yeah, you're going to maybe lose a few people, but the people who get it, like you said, will be like, that's amazing. Like it's, it's so much funnier to, you know, I say a lot of brands, I need some sponsors, by the way, if, if you're a brand and you're okay with me saying like dick bag in a video, please, give me lots of money, but it is way more funny to be like, Oh, he got hit in the head. Like what's he got hit in the head with a shampoo bottle is like, okay. Or he got hit in the head with a, a Selsun blue bottle. It's like Selsun blue, the funny, you see that little blue bottle and it's like Selsun blue. Oh, my uncle had that. He's got weird ass head. Like, it's like, you know, it's, it's right there. And, and it, you do have to be careful with references because I feel like I've, we've all seen, I used to do a lot of improv and stuff and people would think that like, saying something that everyone knows is the joke and it's that's not the joke you have to tie it in with a joke so it's like the compliment of having an actual joke and then being specific with it 
um, is what I try to do. And I'm, I'm glad people like, I'm glad you like that. So thank you. Is this the most fun you've had creating content? I know that the word creating content, I know that the phrase creating content is uh, <laughs> something that, you know, you should immediately go to jail for saying, so I'm sorry <laughs> I said it, but is, is it the most fun that, that you've ever had? Uh, yeah, because I feel like I've, I've, you know, I've created something I can do it on my own terms. And I've got to a place where, you know, people have recognized it as like, oh, your writing's really funny. Maybe you could do this for us. Or maybe you could, you know, write on this thing. And it's, it's kind of, you know, what I wanted, I, I wanted to use it as a calling card. Um, when applying this stuff, but it's kind of became its own thing. And it's continued to grow. So it's like, Yes, it is because I have a lot of freedom. Now, when I do pair up with people or if somebody pays me to do something for them, I have to, you know, tone it down, which is fine. It's all about, it's not about the specific language. I can make these without swearing. It's just about being, you know, I did a video once and the guy, they said I couldn't say, uh, what, was it? what was it when you, uh, I don't, it, something about when you, when you take your ability to have kids away. What I don't know what that's called. Bisectomy vasectomy like can you not say vasectomy so so then i push i'm like you're ruining the spirit of the things that is not a swear but anyway um it is the most fun i've had um and it's just like you know i love trying to find ways to repurpose current clips and old clips like i like what you said like i'm trying to pitch something around it's basically like a sports center for like pop culture you know what i mean a sports center for or throwback sports center i saw I know everybody was tweeting. I tweeted too about like ESPN classics being gone. And it's like that, you know, again, I'm, I'm not a person who would probably watch a whole game on ESPN classics, but there's gotta be a way to make fun throwback, you know, sports content. Um, and it doesn't all have to be the 60 seconds thing, but I think that voice behind it and that kind of attitude of like, we're fans, this is hilarious. This is fun let's celebrate this. There's got to be an outlet for that. So, because I know a lot of people post like on this day, on this day and just show the clip. And I love watching those. Um, so I think there's maybe a way to do more with that, not to plug myself ESPN, but if you'd like to give me a bunch of money, I can come in, come up with uh, some ideas. No, I think that that's, I think that that's makes a lot of sense. And, and it makes sense through this lens is everything is moving towards shorter, right? They want to mm -hmm. put everything on, on TikTok or mm -hmm. just be a graphic online. What you're doing is you're giving, like I said at the top of this, is it's tremendously dense, but it is manageable. It mm -hmm. is a minute. So you're getting the right, the quantity that they want, which is very little, but you're also right. injecting some quality into it. And I think too, like like you mentioned, that you've mentioned before, we're about the same age. Mm -hmm. We're still a viable audience group. And we remember- yeah how things used to be. So right. I do think that there will always be a market of, of leaning in to what this is. Um, right. I'm not so sure. I mean, it's a, it's a larger conversation. I'm not sure people who are 10 or 15 years younger than us are going to grow up with all this structural nostalgia. Around right. them. I think that that might be something that's a little bit more specific to the people who are our age. So I think that it does have tremendous value. And I think that it's reinterpreting what, something can be. And I think that, like you said, it could have happened two days ago, or it could have happened 25 years ago. It doesn't mm -hmm. matter because once you press play, you're in to that moment.
No, I guess I look, I guess like the, the whole thing, I mean, you, you asked if I was having the most fun now and I am, I mean, I think I've never been to just to plug myself. I've, I think I've never been a better writer, uh, in, in someone who, again, to lack of a lack of a better uh, term content creator. Like, I feel like I, I can make stuff that people like in a relatively quick fashion. So to me, my goal now is to keep doing it and to just kind of take it to the next step. It's like, how do I either bring this, attach myself to a larger entity, you know, maybe something on, uh, in the TV world or whatever. It's like, how do I take this thing and keep the same tone, but expand on it? So that's what I'm looking to do. And I think that, you know, the biggest thing that you can do and the biggest thing that anybody proves, uh, an undervalued skill is doing the work. And I, what I wanted to get on, if we haven't got it already, is it does seem like it's a lot of work to, to do this stuff. Yeah. The end product is short and people move on quickly after yeah. they see it. But it's just like I said, like there's layers to it. Anytime you're doing something creatively, you not only have to envision the idea, and that's not even getting into the editing, which you mentioned mm-hmm. before, you want to be super tight because you have a limited scope to work with and you want there to be absolutely no dull moments. You want it to zing for the entire minute. Yeah, I think sometimes people will, and I love when people like at me on Twitter and tell me to do a clip or something, but I'm not the person who just turns his phone on the TV and talks behind it. Those I've videos like that are great. I love when people do that. But my whole thing is like, like you said, no fat trim, trim, trim. It's a specific thing. And I, so I like to, and they do, they take time. And sometimes you do go like, what, what am I doing here? Like, why am I just going to do, do this stuff forever? But then you, but then, you know, it's like anytime, anytime you start to get like that, you get like that reinforcement, whether it's on social or if it's like someone reaching out being like, Hey, you know, I've been watching this. And that's the thing, the fun thing about social media is you don't know, you know, a lot of people lurk on social media and don't interact. And meaning like I'll have people sometimes will be like, Hey, I've been following you for like two years. Maybe we could do X or Y together. And I'm like, Oh, I didn't even know this person. You know, I didn't even know this was a thing. So I've had those opportunities happen and they've been great. And I've just, um, so yeah, I guess it is a lot of work, but as long as it's building towards something and growing an audience and, and people are having fun, myself included, because once this stops being like fun, um, cause even though it is a lot of work, I, I always do like smile, kind of smile, half smile, watching the, the final product. Like I'm like, Oh, this is fun. I like this. This is good. So the lurking thing is so true. That's the story of the big leads existence. <laughs> I'm always shocked when people mention something that I've written. Cause it's just yeah. like, I feel like sometimes I'm like, posting out into the wilderness, but it does seem yeah. that most people who are consuming the stuff aren't saying anything about it right. unless they want to tell me directly, which honestly is way more important. Oh yeah. It feels way better and inspires you in a way that the social media dopamine hit doesn't really give you. I, I had a guy once, once it's only happened once, but I had a guy, I was in a, a liquor store in Massachusetts where I live. And uh, a guy was like, Hey, you the 62nd classics guy. I was like in heaven, dude. I was like that. I was like, this is amazing. You know, and it's like, yeah, like he probably didn't tweet about it, but you know, that direct, like, uh, that direct thing. So anytime, if you do, if you like someone's work, by the way, if you're listening, please tell them because it really helps. <laughs> it really helps because you never know, you know, it's hard to know with this stuff. No, absolutely. And that's how I live my life. If someone is doing a good job, I love to tell yeah. them that they're doing a good job because it doesn't cost me anything. Right. And I know the value in doing it. So I guess we'll close there. 
we are big fans of your work. Every time you put something out, uh, it's greatly appreciated. Where can people, is there a one-stop shop where people can find you? You want to plug yourself? I, I think that it's the least that I can do for you being so generous with your time on this podcast. Well, Kyle, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Yeah, we've known each other kind of for many years. Um, back when I used to send you videos of me probably talking to the camera in the blog world. Um, but, uh, but yeah, you can go, uh, if you go to 60secondclassics.com, uh, there's over a hundred videos there. That's kind of where all my uh, Vimeo links are. Um, you can also follow me on Twitter at mcameralingo. That's where I, you know, I put everything up there as well. I'm on Instagram at 60secondclassics. I don't care for the algorithm over there. You got to do like a reel or something, which I'm not really into and then if you're uh under 21 or if you're having a midlife crisis i am on tiktok at 60 second classics i i recently uh signed up there uh i don't look at the comments because i can't handle a 12 year old telling me to eat shit so um but uh check it out and uh yeah thank you i i mean i've been reading the big lead for a long time and i've always kept up with with your writing kyle and uh i appreciate all the kind words and it's been great to to get on here with you same here man This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.